since 1979, and Carrie White is in hell. Her mother is abusive. She has no friends. And worse yet, she just got her period in front of everyone after gym class. Sue Snell feels guilty about the bullying that followed Carrie's flowering, so she convinces her boyfriend Tommy to take Carrie to the prom. This will be an evening that no one in the small town of Chamberlain, Maine will ever forget. You have a date with Carrie. This is just Creighton and King. So you will have just heard a theme song for the show from Chris Brooks, our previous guest. Big shout out to him, EMT Saving Lives. This is the second episode of Just Crichton and King. This episode is a Stephen King episode, so it will be probably explicit just from the themes we have to discuss. Uh, with me for this episode is Nathan York. We need to talk about how I should introduce you. Stand-up comedian? Yeah. Um, raconteur? Um... <laughs> Musician? Musician, comedian, um, not doing either right now, thanks COVID. Oh, um, boo. Yeah. We're in this room together all locked up, though. I've mostly been playing games, so potential Twitch streamer. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan York. Aren't we all potential Twitch streamers? This is the Carrie episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Stephen King's first novel. First published novel. First published novel. He famously wrote a few pages of it, tossed it in the trash, and his wife picked it out of the trash. It's a great introduction to Stephen King. Had you read any Stephen King before this? Oh, yeah. Uh, I read the a entire lot. Dark Tower series. Oh, that's a uh, lot of pages. Tommyknockers. Yeah, it's a lot of pages. Uh, I'd read Tommyknockers and uh, The Dark Half. Oh, I like The Dark Half. I do, too. It's about a writer. I like those. Yeah. Stephen King likes to write about writers. He does. Jack Torrance is a writer in The Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, The Dark Half. The Dark Half is great because it's like he was writing as Richard Bachman. Yeah. And then he wrote all these stories and then he was like, okay, I'm done with Richard Bachman. And he wrote The Dark Half to be like, okay, here's the story of a guy killing his own pseudonym. Stephen King always likes to get super meta with shit anyway. He does. And you were telling me that Carrie even shows up in The Dark Tower, right? The concepts in Carrie, the stuff that he's doing here, is foundation that he lays into The Dark Tower. And I believe he started writing The Dark Tower before he wrote Carrie. Yeah, I think he wrote The Gunslinger yes. before Carrie and it was published in parts. Yes. Yeah, yeah, this is when he was still mailing stuff in yeah. to be published. I love that line. He says, I think in the introduction of this, where whenever they needed groceries, his wife would be like, hurry, think of a monster. Yeah. Which uh, I, I like his short stories a lot. I've read a lot of Stephen King. I started this podcast because the Simpsons joke, of course, but Steve, Stephen King and Michael Crichton were like the first big boy chapter novels I read when I was like 11 years old. I wrote, I read The Shining and I read Jurassic Park and I was like, these are the greatest. <laughs> the, Sh the Shining is such a horrible chapter book to start with. For, for a kid, who was, was like, yes, read this? Uh, my dad was okay with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was like, I had already been reading a lot. I, I had been reading since kindergarten. In kindergarten, all the kids figured out that I could read, so they asked me to write like curse words out. And I knew that because I was the only kid that knew how to read, if they got it right, I would get in trouble. Yeah. So I spelled it wrong for them. I would make Smart. sure to sabotage them. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was learning trickery at an early age, mm -hmm. on top of knowing how to read. It's a bad combination. A lot of deception yes. built into yes. Daniel's childhood. Yeah, yeah. deception... Uh, coinciding with like reading yes 
That's good. That's good. That's why we want our children to read. So you're you're familiar with Stephen King's writing. I yes. know a lot of times someone's first Stephen King book, they're like, uh, or why is he talking about breasts so much? Or I loved I loved the dark half. I loved Tommy Ockers as a little wild. It's a lot of period action. Oh, you know? and that one too? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I haven't read Tommy Knockers. Okay, well we'll have to do the Tommy Knockers. You have to come back for Tommy Knockers. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to come back for The Dark Tower with you and Ashley, because I feel like Ashley's, like, geared up for that. My fiancé has read all of The Dark Tower books, and she was actually mad that I was doing this podcast, and I hadn't read any of them. I started The Gunslinger, and I didn't really like it. <laughs> to be fair, it's it's slow. It's a slow start. A lot of good, like, world-building books have slow starts. Mm -hmm. Like, Dune has a very slow start. Yeah, I think uh, that's kept me away from that as well. That's I, smart. Well, hopefully Timothy Chalamet can uh, rope you in. Well, you know, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to I'll see the movie first and then I'll have those images in my head when I read yeah. the book. It'd be much easier to read. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I could borrow parts for that movie, like Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho is perfect. Yeah. Cuz Duncan Idaho literally fucks everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why it couldn't be The Rock cuz The Rock never fucks. No, he doesn't. No. He's so asexual on screen. He gives you the eyebrow. But he never puts no it in. No penis. No yeah. full frontal. No. No. In fact, if they ever pulled his pants down in one of those movies, he'd just be smooth like a Ken doll. <laughs> Carrie is a lot of... If you, if you don't like Stephen King's writing, if you don't like reading about breasts, if you don't like over-the-top gore, people being very cruel to each other, which are Stephen King hallmarks, you won't like this. You know, it's a book made out of newspaper clippings and commission reports. And in that way, it's really similar to Andromeda Strain. And then that's I, like... I could see some similarities for yeah. sure. Because they're they're talking about readouts and, and right. Andromeda Strain and, you know, like reports and like yeah. talking about procedure. and how Right. They, yeah. And that's, there's a bit of procedural to this where... There's a court case happening. There's a court the case occurring. Court, yeah. It's almost like a weird opposite of the Andromeda Strain because the Andromeda Strain is constantly telling you these characters survive and this book is always saying they're going to die. Yeah. Like every 10 pages he goes, and that would be the last time they ever saw each other. And they had two hours left. Yeah. And that's exciting, I think. It, it, yes, it is very exciting. In fact, the second half of the book is really where things kind of go off the rails because yeah. the storytelling is pretty linear. Yeah. In the first half. In the second half, it's jumping between the trial and between interviews and like and specific viewpoints. moments and viewpoints. It, yeah. it like crosses town at some point. It jumps to Sue. Jumps to Sue. Jumps, jumps to back to Chris. Yeah. Chris and Billy. Oh. Okay. Chris and Billy is... A mess. Is the... There are very horrific parts to this book. Like Yes. And, and, that, and thankfully the movie backed off of those things. The the movie, the 76, the movie in 1976. Two years after the book two was Two years, very early. They were like, green light immediately. Yeah, so, somebody in Hollywood read it after doing yeah. like a bunch of cocaine. They were like, buy it now. Yeah. Imagine having read this book and then you're like, oh, there's a movie coming out. <laughs> and you're like, how are they going to blow up an entire town? Especially in the 70s, you're like, how the fuck are they going to blow up an entire town and do all this stuff. Oh, I can curse now because we're explicit. Yeah. Uh, the one critique I have, obviously, is the first like two and a half, three minutes which is just like nude teenage <laughs> women. Full frontal nudity. Like, it just gets your attention. I, it does something. It does a lot. It gets your attention. It lets you know. Because a lot of times in those movies, the girls that are naked are the ones that end up dying. It almost subconsciously lets you know they're all dead. They're all dead already. 
Nancy Allen, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Because as a kid, I'd seen RoboCop. And then as a teen, I saw Carrie and I was like, yo, <laughs> Nancy <laughs> Allen. Because she's, she's not sexualized at all no. in RoboCop. That's like the point of her character. So for her to be sexualized minute one full frontal, it's crazy. And she's like, she's the villain. She's a villain. She's a great villain. Which this story has at least three villains. The principal is actually not a villain at all, which I really appreciate. In the book, the principal, while aloof at times, stands up for St- Carrie. Sticks up for Carrie. And, uh... And Miss DeHardine. Miss DeHardine. The, the or as Sissy Spacek, Spacek pronounces it, as Jets Jardins. <laughs> Does she have, like, the southern drawl when yes. she's doing it? Yeah. Aww. Des Jardins. Uh, not as hard. Okay. But she's a consummate actress. She's, yes. a, she's such a good actress. And you, I, I found it difficult to believe that she would be the picked on one. Even mm-hmm. when they made her really plain, there was like. Yeah, she had no makeup on. She had no makeup on and she was still s- Sissy Spacek. Yeah. And, it, and you kind of, I always found that a little unbelievable. That's the Hollywood of it. Because in the book, she's described as a chunky girl with pimples on her. Uh, neck and back and butt. Yes. She's got pimples on her ass and Stephen King went there. He yes. went there. He, he did. He keeps going there and he keeps talking about what causes pimples. Yeah. Everyone in the book is teenage shit. So what? she's eating chocolate too right. much and if she ate less chocolate... She, she wouldn't have pimples, pimples on her butt. I think later on, uh, Sue Snell goes to get a... Um, root beer root beer and she's like I know this is what's giving me pimples yeah that malt shop she was pumped I know that's so dated I also like that Stephen King used the malt shop owner as the guy who talks about being electrocuted to death before it happens that's right he does he does set up a lot of those small town characters (laughs) he really does he loves those small town characters and the way they talk and the way that they Mm -hmm. interact with the world and how how easily distracted they are yes actually one of my favorites is the town drunk who gets violent I, I will say he's a very nuanced character because he understands that he gets violent and so the cops in him have worked out a deal where he just shows up at the sheriff's station like I need to nap one off yeah. and they put him in they don't even lock the gate no they know he's gonna be fine he just needs to sleep it off because he's gonna get violent that's how wholesome this town is before right before Carrie shows up <laughs> before Carrie just... and that's the thing like you see maybe 10 people die in the movie mm-hmm and in the book, you see maybe 500, I think it's 440 people are killed in the in the book. At times it quotes 200, but yeah, it's it's over 400 for and sure. I think in the book, she has, she we talked about that, she has more agency if for herself in the book. Yes. She is able to make decisions in the book that in the movie, she's kind of pressured into. They also play Carrie as more of like a very timid person. And while Carrie is yeah. timid in the book at times... Mm-hmm. She very much is in control of her own agency. She is very aware of what's happening. And she does things really smartly. Like yeah. She goes to a nice store to get nice fabric for the right. dress that she sews. She finds her confidence. Yes. And she does it early on. I think the conversation with Tommy almost caps her own, this little arc that she has where she's like, I do have powers. Yes. Mom has been lying to me this whole time and I know I have powers. I know all that stuff. I can make it move. And I, I proved it now. I have my power. Well, if I, as a woman, flowered and then my mother kicked the shit out of me when I got home and I had brain powers, yeah. I too would have become more comfortable. I too would have thrown <laughs> knives into her. In the movie. In the movie. Only in the movie. Only they, in the movie. They did ritualize it in the movie and it was quite lovely. The, yeah. The scene with the candles and then Carrie goes and takes an emotional bath. 
Yes, and we needed to. That's a little over the top. That yeah. she needs the movie, to take another. The movie's bath. over the top with its nudity. with the nudity. Yeah. It's very seventies nudity. The period though that that portion of the shower scene was very daring. I thought, and in the way that Still. it was shot, yes, in the way that it was shot was was almost jarring. It was like, oh wow, they're actually going like, yeah all the way for this. And I and I like that because there needs to be no. You can't infer something else is going on. You need to know that she's having her period. Yeah. Like, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Especially when I was a teen boy watching it. I was like, whoa! Like, <laughs> you know, you're like... Because I, I, to have that... I, I feel like the nudity is very purposeful in terms of letting the male guard down. Yeah. A man will be more freaked out by seeing that than a woman, because for a woman... They've seen it. Well, and that's the whole reaction in the book, too. It's like, all these girls are like, what is wrong with yeah, me? Yeah, dude. They're like, like, dude. I'm dying. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, dying. No one's helping me. Why isn't anybody helping me? It's so fucked up. Sissy Spacek crushed that scene. She's she's believable. Mm-hmm. She, she makes you think that she's never had her period. Yeah. The way that they treat her is supposed to be because she's plain. It's supposed to be because she doesn't get it. She's not with it. But in the book, she is more of the scapegoat. She's more of the one that they always dunk on, the one that they always... They literally dunk her in a portion of the book. Right. They dunk her and they hold her down too long. Yes. And that's the heartbreaking part of it is that she is so bullied. She's so mistreated. And that doesn't come across in the the movie at all because in the movie it's almost like, oh, she had her period or they jumped pig's blood on her. Like it, it, it escalates in a different way than, oh, she's been dealing with this all of her life. Yeah. I love, I love all the little ways that she, in the book, she practices. In the book, she's lifting the bed, she's lifting the hairbrush, she's flexing. She calls it, she's flexing her muscle. And I love that she practices and gets good at it. Good old Pray and Carrie. I really like, isn't that little kid's name Tommy? Yeah, there it is. Okay, uh, his name's Tommy Ertberger. Erpter. Erpter, there it is. So he rides past her. He does it in the movie, too. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back. He's singing Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? under his breath. Right. And then he sees Carrie, and he's, his face brightens up immediately. And he's like, hey, old fart face, old praying Carrie. And then Carrie, like, glares at him. and goes like, oh, I wish you'd crash your bike. And then the kid, like, takes a dive. The bike <laughs> ends up on top of him, and he's, like, crying his eyes out. And That's she's the like, first time she's like, oh, sweet music to my ears. Someone yeah. cries for help. Exactly. She does that later when she locks the prom up. Mm-hmm. She, she says, oh, they're screaming now with such sweet music to my ears. She savors that moment really yeah. hard. I think it's it's almost inexcusable that she doesn't leave the prom in a huff in the movie. I love, that's like my favorite Carrie moment outside of the ending of the book where her and Sue have a conversation. Yes, and Sue's holding her and she's yeah, dying. And, and Sue's like, I really didn't mean it. Like, search my brain. And then like... They do the fucking Dreamcatcher thing. Yeah. Did you ever read Dreamcatcher? I've watched the movie. Okay, so then you know that in Dreamcatcher, Stephen King uses the the location of a mind library. Yeah. Uh, in this book, he comes up with that idea. He also uh, comes up with cars going wrong in this one. He says the car has power. Yeah. Um, he also he talks about sodium arc lights, mm-hmm. which is something he mentions in every book. I, I think Michael Crichton is missing that Dark Tower thing 
that kind of cinches everything up. Like, what if Jurassic Park and Westworld were competing theme parks, you know? You could kind of hem all that stuff up in this really weird metaverse. I think the key difference between the two in that regard is that King was much more interested in world building, whereas Crichton was not concerned with that. I think Crichton is more concerned with making, making it seem like not it's another world, but it's happening in this world. So... Uh, there's a lot of horrific moments in this book, mm. and I would say none more horrific than when Billy and the boys go out to the hog pen. I know, you you really, that scene really disturbed you. It's very jarring. They lure him in with potato chips and good times. She didn't even get to Bert, man. No. The, the, the book is a classic. Yeah. It's a masterpiece of teen drama and... 240-something pages it's, of just solid writing. The movie is a masterpiece. It's had to build suspense out of nothing. It's perfectly acted. Yeah. The remake is Final Destination-esque garbage. And the music, the score for the new one is just not good. The original one is scored like, like a Hitchcock film. Yes, it even it even borrows the cue, the yes. re re cue. Yes. Every the, time Carrie uses her, every time she flexes her TK, mm-hmm. um, we get the noise from Psycho, the re re. Yeah. The the remake is insane in its uh, CGI. Yeah, they said make her more powerful and also have her move her arms around a bit. Oh it's my weird. god. It's weird having her just like look. It's weird having her look at stuff. Let's have her WandaVision that shit. <laughs> But the force joke was so weird. It was like, why are yeah. you doing an homage why, to Star Wars? Why is she picking her up by the neck? Yeah. Why would she do that? She could pick her up by the waist. She could make a platform appear from underneath her and have her float over with no problem. She could do all kinds she of things. She could do all kinds all of shit. Kinds. She has all the power. And and that's what's frustrating. I feel like they still have never really captured that moment where the bucket comes down, she's covered in blood. And people don't know what to think. They're not laughing at her yet. They're not laughing at all until they're not Tommy laughing. dies. They're, and 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 that's fucked up because he died. Like yeah. they're laughing because it's weird. Yeah, they hear bucket sound and yeah. they see Carrie open her eyes wide like a minstrel show. Oh, the okay. The there are a few landmines in this. Oh, uh, there are some out, there are outdated landmines in this. That's why I'm like, Sue Snell isn't like the most beloved character. No, no. Like she's she's trying to do better. Trying to do better, but there's a moment where she's convincing Tommy, I think in between. Love making? Uh, yeah, sex scenes. In between getting down with Tommy in the car. She talks about like, you know, like I really think we should do this for Carrie. And he's like, oh, when do you get all high and mighty and judgmental? And it talks about some of the things that she's done in the past. And one of them that's referenced is her going to a rally and holding up signs to keep... Um, it definitely uses offensive language, but essentially to keep black people out. Out of the yep. local grocery store. Yeah, so um, she's pro-segregation. Well, okay, so there is there is problematic language in, in terms of... Well, actually, the, the pro-segregation thing is a character choice. But the... And describing her as part of... As looking like she's in a minstrel show mm-hmm. is actually really good use of that. Because... That's horrific imagery, and using it as horrific imagery, I think, makes sense. That makes sense. But there's like a weird bit that Tommy does with his buddies when they get to the prom that's oh, yeah. like, 
it, it's some some comedy bit where they're like it's must be it has something to do with Vietnam clearly well they don't explicitly he doesn't explicitly say uh, what that character is like what his origin is he has we have no idea what that reference is to yeah (laughs) that's an outdated cultural reference referencing some kind of racist art some kind of song or something or something on a show at that time the the word they used would have been against vietnamese people true because it's 70 79 yes in the book it was written in 74 but it's 79 in the book but i think it also roots it in the time because that is language that people would use then yeah. So whether or not you hate it or feel like it's appropriate, it is representative of the kids in that era. Yeah, and it's it's zeitgeist accurate. Yes. Unfortunately. I don't like that the mom gets one over on Carrie in the movie. I yeah. like the idea that Carrie's in full control and she comes home and stops the mom's heart. I think that's way scarier. I guess maybe it doesn't make for a better movie. You need to have that imagery of her getting crucified and then all the knives flying into her. The crucifixion in the movie was a lot more graphic than her gushing blood from a knife wound in her shoulder while she slows her mom's heart down and then stops it. I like the idea that Carrie and her mom end their relationship on bad terms. I think that's more interesting and satisfying than at the end of the movie, Carrie's like, oh, mom, you know, I, I don't, I want to save you from this terror that I've instilled upon us. It's like, no, at the end of the book, she's like, if only I hadn't gotten stabbed, I would have fucking killed all of you. Yeah. I mean, if she, okay, if her mom hadn't wounded her, she could oh, it's just, the end of the world. She would have stopped eventually because one of the things that they talk about in the book is that using the TK ability hurts her heart. Mm. That it's really taxing on her body physically yeah. as she roams about the town, you know, pulling power cables down and stuff. I think that that version of Carrie is much scarier. Her covered in the pig's blood with the knife sticking out of her shoulder to the hilt. Uh, just the hilt of the knife sticking out of her shoulder. Pulling down power lines in the middle of the street. I think that's so much scarier than anything in the movie. Like, the movie is almost not scary. The, the she, All she does in the movie is she makes the fire hose shoot a bunch of water, and then they electrify, and then it accidentally starts a fire, and she leaps. I mean, she accidentally starts a fire in the book, but not by but hosing people down. In the book, she is given an opportunity to leave, and she decides to come back. And that's one of the points, is that they showered her in pig's blood, and she wants to give them a shower. She wants to ruin all their clothing. She wants to make their nice night into something shitty, just like they did for her. And so she decides to take out the sprinklers. And then while she's trying to figure out how to take out the sprinklers, she gets the idea that there was a bunch of electronics on the dance floor and that it'll be, uh, it will cause a confluence. There will be something that happens because she's spraying water all over it. And that's only after she's decided to shower them. And I think that's an important distinction to make. She's not... A psychopath. She is somebody that was that she was a monster that was created. She wasn't born this way. Yeah. Like you said, when when the neighbors saw her, she's an innocent kid. She's a sweet little girl. Right. Inquisitive. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, she doesn't know. Yeah. Because her and her mom would never tell her anything. Her mom was afraid. Maybe the mom knew that burgeoning sexuality means the power comes because of her own grandmother. And she tried to stop it. She tried to make sure that this 
maybe this woman will never become a woman. Maybe she will stay a child her entire life if that's how I treat her. And it lasted a long time, but you can't stop biology, Margaret White. I like that the book and the movie both give Carrie that celebration. It's she gets like, a win. It's like she's a person for the first time. Yeah. She gets to be a woman. She gets to be beautiful. She gets to be liked. Like yeah. people are talking to her. People think she's cool. Shitty. Yeah. There's a weird, weird kid dancing, talking. No, it's fun. It sounds like a prom. It sounds like a prom, even though our prom was, you know, Casey and JoJo and like. Oh, yeah. And uh, Vitamin C's uh, I'll Miss You Forever or whatever. Yeah. Good Riddance Time of Your Life by mm-hmm. Green Day. That was the graduation song for years. Uh, no, it's really sweet. Like, in the book, Carrie has way more agency at this point, mm-hmm. and she's way more confident and yeah. way more happy. But in the movie, like, Tommy goes in. Tommy kisses her, like, I don't know. Multiple times. I don't remember him kissing her so much He does in not the book. kiss her in the he book. He doesn't kiss her in the no. book. In the movie, he's like, he's kind of all over her. Oh, Tommy's, Tommy's leaving Tommy's, Sue at the Yeah, end of Tommy's prom. getting it out. Yeah. I almost appreciate that choice because... You need to say that Tommy's into her. Like there's a, like Tommy is much, everyone's more complex in the book. That's just because you can do it in a book. Yeah. Tommy's more complex in the book uh, because he does, he does kind of fall for Carrie at the prom, but it's a little more restrained and it's all in his head. And in the movie, you have to show them like you have to show that it's going well for them. Yeah. So him kissing her and the camera spinning around them way too fast. Oh. Making us dizzy is perfect because you you are transported to that. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm on board with her. Mm-hmm. I think that sense of dread that's always lurking in the back. Like, there's even this great bit in the score where it's that lilting, like, perfect, like, everything's perfect, everything's sunshine and roses, Tommy's holding me, Carrie theme, and it hard cuts to uh, Chris and Billy, like, getting the, the thing ready, and then it cuts back to Carrie, and the score starts back up, and it's, like, it's so perfect to, like, cut out, like, she's having the perfect time, but don't forget this is going on, and then she's having the perfect time. Yeah, the score during that moment is, it's so nice, because it, it, it knows what it's intentional. It's so very intentional about showing the good and wonderful things and then adding that tension onto those moments. And that's actually when you get that great shot where it goes around the yeah. room and then cuts over to where Sue's at. By the way, in the book, Sue is never in the gymnasium. Sue watches the school blow up from afar. From afar and then drives her car into town. Right. And she's there. She's around another explosion when Carrie goes in her rampage. The, the gas station. Gas station. She sees the gas station explode. And also, Chris and Billy aren't in the gymnasium, whereas in the movie, John Travolta and, and Chris's character... Nancy Allen. Nancy Allen. Are underneath the stage. That's like, crazy to me. Yeah. That I really like in terms of staging. I that's, think that's a smart choice. That's when they do the backlit, like, with the rope. Yeah, with the, the silhouette. Yeah. And those close-ups on her mouth, just, like, waiting for mm-hmm. it, waiting for it. She's licking her lips right before she pulls yeah. the rope. She She's draining every ounce of satisfaction she can from this. She hates Carrie so much. So much. In, in the movie, Chris is much more evil, openly evil. Yes, than in the book. In the book, Chris just convinces Billy to do it. Yeah. But in the book, it's more Billy like, well, I'm going to get mine if I do this for her. She'll have to reward me for this. Yes. Billy openly talks about, like, either raping raping her or just she better, like... She better give it up or I'll take it, it is, was, is his 
point of view. That's what makes him a very Stephen King character because sometimes in books, especially in books, because you need to form a complex character and they have to have a little bit of conflict. Everyone has to have a little bit of conflict. A little bit. You get characters that are evil, but then you understand them. And a lot of times in like cable dramas, they introduce this evil character, this new badass on the scene. And then we spend a whole season figuring out like, oh, why they're an evil badass and their dark backstory and what they were as a kid and the government program that put them all together and, and yep. made them into super soldiers or whatever bullshit. I really appreciate... No, he's evil. He's, he's irredeemably evil. There is a scene where it cuts to Billy's home life and instead of dwelling on any, any moment of that, Billy gets a beer, gets in the car and just hits stray dogs. Yeah. And then comes back with the bumper dripping blood. Yeah. That's how he deals. Yeah, they, they didn't even, like, I think it mentioned his parents are fighting. like Yeah, once or twice, yeah. No, I have no sympathy for him dying. No, and I love that. I want that. Yeah. Give me give me an evil character that I can root against. Not everyone has to have nuance. He's he spent, the worst he, guy. He spends an afternoon, like, excitedly setting up the rig. The descriptions of him setting up the rigging. Yeah, he's, like, dancing There's like, there. But there's, like, four pages of it. We see he's, like, describing the twine he's using, the pulley system. It's so over the top. And I love that sense of suspense that you get because you're like, no, stop. You're like, isn't somebody going to... And it keeps going and it's like, wait, no. Yeah, is there Somebody's... nobody on this campus? Yeah, does, doesn't it? Isn't there a janitor around somebody? Fucking nobody. Nobody. Nobody notices. Nobody knows it's up there. It. They smartly freeze the blood so that it takes a while for it to start to smell. Well, he left it in his trunk overnight. No, but he puts it in coolers full of ice. And when they open it up night of, that there's still ice in those coolers, which is a smart move because if you put it up there and a couple hours later it starts to smell, they'll find it. So that was very intentional. This isn't the first time he's done pig's blood on something. This is clearly not the first time he's dealt with blood. Oh, okay. We have to talk about breasts. Yeah, we didn't get there. We didn't get I to the breasts. We can go back to breasts. So, uh, Mr. Hardeen, Miss Collins... Whoever you want to call her, she's the teacher that, that has a heart and tries to mentor Carrie a little bit when she realizes how fucked up her home life is. And slap her up a bit. And slap her a little bit in the yep. book. Uh, she slapped her in the movie too, right? She did. Yeah. I, I bet they kept that in the new movie too. Yeah, the new new movie I've only seen kind of the ending of. Right. And I do know that the humiliation in the new new movie is captured, of course, in vertical video and displayed at the end of the prom along with the pig's blood. It's like yeah. the second part to their prank. I, I would say say that that is less jarring than the you're they're all gonna laugh at you mr hardeen is described as slim and non-breasted yes i understand that every time we meet a female character stephen king he has to talk about their breasts he even mentions in the introduction the two poor young women that were shit on their whole lives that uh, inspired carrie and he has to mention that one of them had big tits too he, he definitely did and yeah so Mr. Hardeen, when he describes her as being slim and non-breasted, you would assume it's just King being nasty-ass King. But I brought this up to you, and you I didn't think you bought it, but I think there's a case to be made that he's trying to say with that Mr. Hardeen doesn't have kids of her own. Maybe, maybe. I, I, I don't buy it because all the other breasts that are described in the book don't have kids either, so it's... Uh, Margaret White's... <laughs> Margaret White's, but Carrie's got milk white breasts with uh, coffee nipples. Oh my god! And he uh, and he says uh, <laughs> the bra was upturning them. Not that they needed. Not it. that they needed. Jesus it. Christ, yeah. man! No, I could just picture him like in a little room, just being like, mm. just sweating. Yeah. <laughs> But and that's the thing is, I think the perfect age to read a Stephen King book is 
like 15. Yeah. They're great reads, especially this one is like a great read that gets everything right about high school, at least for the time period. But they're they're from like a juvenile point of view. They're evenly horny for a book. They're pretty horny. I like I like that he is unapologetically horny. I think sometimes you feel dirty being there with him. You're like, wait, let's let's not. And he's like, no, fuck that. I know what you want. I know what you really want. Don't shy away from this. Keep looking. Yeah, keep looking. Yeah. Remember her milky white. <laughs> white I, I remember the description right out the gate. Call me nipples. Yeah, that's right before she starts tweaking him to like Jesus and sheep. Just in her bedroom, trying to fight off the something. Just tweaking. Just tweaking away. Just tweaking away. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I do... I, well, another King staple is um, intrusive thoughts displayed in parentheticals. And thoughts that the character is having displayed as italics. Yeah. And this has my one of my favorite things Stephen King does is that he will have an italicized thought. Because he usually uses italics within paragraphs to put emphasis on dialogue. He does that a lot too. So when he uses italics to say someone's thoughts, but he needs to still put that emphasis in, he just unitalicizes the word of emphasis. And bolds it. Uh, oh, did they bold it in there? Uh, at least at all uppercases. He, he, yeah, all uppercases is, is very popular too with him, uh, especially when people are pushed over the edge. Yes. And the intrusive thoughts are getting worse and worse. He's very good at writing intrusive thoughts. So wrapping up the movie and the book, very honest interpretation. Yes. Not literal. For budgetary reasons, it couldn't be so literal. Yes. Read the book. The book's and crazy. And watch the movie. And the movie's great. They're, they're classics for a reason. The, the movie gets so much stuff right. You know, it's it's very dated, uh, but I think it gets enough things about uh, right about the emotion of it that it holds up. That's what makes it hold up. It, yeah, and it's a very daring film too, as we mentioned. Yeah. The score is buck wild. Yeah, and, and it feels modern. It does. It feels like an 80s movie and it's a very much a 70s movie, but th- there are shots in it that you're like, what? Like some shots of Sissy Spacek look like it could have been yesterday. Uh, there and, and some of the techniques that are used too are, are more advanced. Yeah, like it's split like, screen. They didn't like matrix it or anything, no. but... But hey, split screens again, Andromeda Strain, that movie used split mm-hmm. screens too. Read it, watch it, maybe don't watch that... Chloe Grace Moretz version. That's the casting of Carrie. She she should be a little chunky. Yeah. I think she should be chunky. Oh, we didn't do the casting. We didn't, um, we didn't talk about the cast. Barb. Sh- Shannon Purser was my choice. Yes, Barb from Stranger Barb Things. Barb from Stranger Things. Perfect casting. Would have been right. I think, too, they didn't want to have like an uggo as the main role. Well, I feel like that's kind of the Hollywood problem of it is you kind of, if you read the book, you're like, oh, there should be an uggo. <laughs> she's not an uggo. She's not an uggo. No, she's sorry. not an uggo. I didn't mean, this, Tommy, I didn't mean to Tommy, throw that stone. She's Tommy, just supposed to be bovine-faced. But Tommy even says, like, oh, she's pretty. Like, he realizes she's pretty. And there's, like... And talented. She sells her own dress. Yes, yeah, and everyone impressed. thinks she's really cool. Like, if if anybody if anybody had given her a shot, they would have seen, you know, that she had something to offer from the get-go. And her mother kept her light under a bushel, and this is what happens. Yeah. Carrie blows it all up at the end. And then the book, the prom's way better. She she closes the doors on people and they're they're blown up into meat. Yeah, in the book she takes a breath. In the book she is allowed to leave and think about it and make the decision and she wants to just give them all a shower. Yeah. She wants to just ruin their night. She doesn't want to kill anybody. It's only because they pushed her that she decided to kill everybody. She's not wrong. Carrie did Carrie did nothing wrong. <laughs> Carrie made some mistakes. 
But was Carrie's anger misplaced? No. Okay, that's a good way to put it. She was abused horribly by her mother, by her peers. She was put in a position that was unwinnable. Yes. But she managed to win. She win. She won a bit. She won. Yeah. She wins. In the movie, she doesn't win as much. In the book, she's a winner. In the book, she wins a ton. She wins prom queen, and then she kills everybody. Yeah. She fucking, she fucking did it. Wrecks the town. She wrecks the whole town. Yeah. There's power lines and shit. People blowing up. Blows up the gas station. In the movie, she makes a fire hose come out. It's so not impressive. It's but not impressive. again, the budgetary restrictions there. Anyway, it's a masterpiece for a reason. It, it's a great first Stephen King book. Um, would you agree? Absolutely. I think that the fact that this was Stephen King's first book mm-hmm. is wild. Yeah. It's almost as crazy as Oingo Boingo's first album, <laughs> having Little Girls as its first track and also its first music video. Hey man, genius at work. It's about on point for that. You know, if you can, if always if you can bring it back to Oingo Boingo, you know all of his Oingo Boingo proms. <laughs> so if people want to hear more from you, Nathan, what do they want to do? Uh, I don't have a lot of content online, almost intentionally. Okay. But you could probably find it. Uh, on YouTube of me being really sweaty standing up on stage. I've done a podcast with some other folks. What's it called? It's called called Mon Men. Thank you. So you're on Mon Men? Once. You're on Mon Men once. You were on this at least once. At least once. This time. Fingers crossed. Oh, and you're on Twitter. What are you on Twitter? What's your handle? Oh, it's very generic. I believe it's just my name. Nathan York? You got Nathan York? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, at Nathan H. York. Okay, and Nathan H. York on Twitter to hear more from Nathan. If you want to find me, it's Prombies on Twitter. You can pick up my book, Prombies. It just happens to be about a prom. I didn't write it because of Carrie. <laughs> and as a person who's read it, it's wonderful. Thank you. It's a lot of gore. Uh, it's, it's very gory. Uh, gory prom. If you want to pick up Prombies, it's available on Amazon. If you want to keep going with Just Crichton and King, the next one will be The Terminal Man. There is a book, of course, written by Michael Crichton. And then there's a movie. I think it's The Dad from Just Shoot Me. George Siegel is is the terminal man i don't like the terminal man uh i'm bringing on a friend of mine who really loves the terminal man so we'll be discussing it it might be more of a debate about the merits of it read along with the podcast please if it's you come fun. prepared to the episode more it's, power to you it's much more enjoyable if you've read the book okay that was a great episode of just Crichton and king we'll see you next time for terminal man thank you Best music of the movie. Heartbreaking. Easily. Is this heartbreak? Is this the sound Heart, of heartbreak? This is the sound of your heartbreak. It's an Italian heartbreak. <laughs> no, don't go. <laughs> Come back to me. Come back to me. Your mother. Mario. <laughs>